The Leslie Marshall Show, the only true democracy in talk radio, of, for, and by you, the people, live nationwide and streaming live at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Call in with your thoughts at 888-6-LESLIE. All right. Happy Friday afternoon, everyone. We're almost to the weekend. This is the Leslie Marshall Show, Millennial Takeover. This Friday afternoon, my name is Maggie Thompson with Generation Progress. We've got a great hour coming up. And we wanted to come back to a topic that we had covered a couple weeks on this show and um, really dedicate the first hour to something good that has happened in Washington, D.C. and something good that Congress has actually done. I know you're all shocked. Um, the GI Bill expansion was just passed by the Senate this week, and I've got two guests in, here in studio with me to talk a little bit about what that means for veterans and service members and their families, um, but also about what comes next. Um, so here in studio with me, two of our fantastic partners on this campaign. First, I've got Sean Marvin, who's the legal director for the Veg- for Veterans Education Success. Welcome to the show, Sean. Thanks. It's great to be here. Awesome. And then second, I have our own Charlotte Hancock, who's the program director for Higher Ed Not Debt, which is a national campaign to address student debt and college affordability. Welcome to the show, Charlotte. Hey, Maggie. Thanks so much. Awesome. Well, I'm going to start with you, Sean, because I think that, you know, this is a really great thing that happened, but not many people heard about it because so much was happening with health care. It was just a little bit of a couple crazy weeks. Um, so can you just walk us through what the GI Bill expansion does for veterans and service members and some of the things that it expands? Sure. So, as many people know, after soon after 9-11, the GI Bill that's existed since the 40s was expanded in a number of ways to, um, to modernize it. But in doing so, there were certain omissions um, you, as part of that bill, as great as it was. And so this legislation that j- has just passed the House and the Senate in the last few weeks unanimously does a lot to really bridge some of the gaps that, that were left in that uh, post 9-11 GI Bill. It, for example, ensures that reservists who deploy are treated no differently than active duty service members with regard to the educational benefits that they receive for their service. It ensures that service members who earn the Purple Heart, but who don't, often because of the injuries that are part of earning the Purple Heart, don't uh, miss out on GI Bill benefits because of shorter service. So to explain that a little bit better, the, the GI Bill generally requires that a service member serve, I believe it's three years, in order to earn that benefit. But there are service members who basically enlist, deploy, and are injured so quickly that they're separated um, sometimes before they can even earn the serve right. the three years to, to get that those benefits. That's so, a, and, that's unbelievable. so and that was one of the things I thought was most striking about this bill, because I didn't know that was something that could happen, that if you were serving and you were injured before you had reached whatever threshold um, that previously previously existed that you couldn't come back and get the money to go to school. Like right. that, that was a shock to me. Right. <laughs> so clearly a big fix to, to get after. Right. So there was a three-year service requirement. And now under the new law, if you've, if you've, um, you know, bled for this country and earned a Pearl Heart, that's considered meeting the service requirement. I think regardless. that should be sufficient for right. you to regardless get some support to go in. to college. Yeah, yes. absolutely. <laughs> um, so it does that. It also, it also expands um, services for dependence of service members. Um, there were some omissions in the post 9-11 bill that re- sort of unintentionally overlooked dependence in certain regards. So it, ex- it extends the GI Bill for, for those purposes. And then it also um, re- it looks out for students who are at certain schools like Corinthian Colleges mm-hmm. and ITT Tech, which closed 
where a number of service members had been attending and using their GI Bill, and then suddenly saw the schools close and saw um, them, you know, left with with a degree that or or credits that often couldn't even transfer another, to mm-hmm. other schools. Yeah. So the the new GI Bill also helps those students, and then it also includes a provision for schools that, that close in the future and That's ensures awesome. that uh, service members who see those that happen to them will at least be able to get a, a semester of their GI Bill back should their school close. That's awesome. Well, that's fantastic. And I'm actually going to go to the phones right now because we have um, on the phone with us Will Hubbard from Students, Student Veterans of America, who is actually really in the mix along with Sean. And I think it was, gosh, well, you're going to have to tell me if it was um, around over 40 other veterans groups that came together to get this done. So I think, well, it would be great to hear a little bit about what groups came together and how you did this. I mean, there's so many important issues happening in the country right now. And like, how how did you get Congress to do something about this? Well, thanks for uh, having me, Maggie and Sean. I was good to be uh, a guest uh, with you uh, as certainly one of the, the key members uh, of this coalition that, that got this done. And it wasn't just even three months ago when we had initially proposed this idea. It got a lot of pushback. Uh, there was concern about the offset that we were using to pay for this. Uh, we'd since put, put that off the table and, and totally readdressed this and brought together this coalition. By the end, we actually had uh, over 60 organizations from military, veteran, family, uh, and higher ed organizations as part of this coalition. And it was unanimous. I mean, all, all organizations were supporting it. And I think that's largely reflective of the outcome, which was to have, as Sean pointed out, the House passed it 405 to 0, and the Senate passed it 100 to 0. As you it's all awesome. know, uh, it's pretty, pretty unusual to have Congress pass something of this size with uh, 100% support. So we're, we were very excited about that. But that really was, I think, largely indicative of the coalition building that we did. Uh, over the last several months, and it was it was tough. I mean, there were long days, uh, to be sure. There were a lot of conversations, and frankly, a lot of it really just came down to the one-on-one conversations that we had uh, over time that, that really brought that through. That's fantastic. Well, I think, and then I just want to shift gears a little bit, because I think this was such a huge win, and we're all pumped about it, because it really expanded these benefits, but also closed some of the loopholes that um, were, were really leaving some service members behind. But now that this is done, I know we've all talked a lot about sort of now we've got veterans, the resources and service members and their families, the resources they need to go to school. What are the things we can do to make sure that, uh, you know, they have the opportunity to go to good schools, get high quality, high quality degrees that um, are really worthy of their service? So I want to, you know, kick it over to Charlotte just to talk a little bit. You know, Sean mentioned a few of the schools that, um, you know, it, it, when they close uh, now, service members can get their benefits restored. But can you t- talk a little bit just about this sort of problem we're facing with some of these more predatory schools and, and you know, how we need to step up to, to take action around them? Sure. Um, so the schools that uh, Sean mentioned, like Corinthian Colleges and ITT Technical Institutes, um, they are both schools that closed recently, and they are both schools that have um, a history of preying on veterans um, in order to sort of suck in that GI Bill money. Um, and uh, we hear stories over and over again from both service members and um, other other students who have gone to these kinds of schools about 
um, being taken advantage advantage of and not receiving the educations that they were promised. Um, and we we are so glad to hear uh, that this bill um, is making sure that veterans and service members can receive their GI bills uh, back if they've spent these uh, if, if they've spent their money at some schools that maybe didn't give them what they were promised. Um, in addition, uh, we think that um, going forward that there is lots of room to sort of look at this as maybe a model of something that should uh, be available to, to everyone else. If they've been cheated by a school or defrauded by a school, they also should receive their money back um, in some capacity uh, if, if a school is, is breaking the law or taking advantage of them. Um, and if that has happened to you, you should definitely check out our website for some resources, higherednotdebt.org. Um, and you can also submit a complaint, uh, no matter what kind of student you are, if you think your school has defrauded you um, with the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, the CFPB.org. Yeah, and so this is really exciting. I mean, this is just a huge win, and we got some great steps to go up next. So we're going to just take a short break in a minute. But if you have questions, um, if you're out there, if you um, think your school defrauded you, definitely check out some of those resources that Charlotte um, mentioned. Um, and you can always give us a call. This is the Leslie Marshall Show. Um, the number for questions is 888-6-LESLIE. That's 888-653-7543. I'm Maggie Thompson, and we'll be right back after a quick break. Leslie Marshall, when the truth matters. Give her a call now at 888-6-LESLIE. Keep Leslie in your pocket. Go to lesliemarshallshow.com forward slash members. All right. Welcome back, everyone. It's the millennial takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. My name is Maggie Thompson with Generation Progress. We're talking about the one good thing Congress has done lately, the GI Bill expansion. <laughs> um, so we're back here in the studio um, and I wanted to go back to Sean with Veterans Education Success um, to really, you know, we've talked a little bit about what this this bill does, the expansion, but um, just to really ground it for folks and in, in individuals, people's stories. Are there any people that you work with that are whose lives are going to be made better by this bill? Sure, there there are many. And so one example is Kevin Thompson, who served in the Navy for 20 years. He was an enlisted sailor, and um, after 20 years, 20 years is the benchmark in order to retire from the military. He retired honorably and recognized or really was under the impression that the skills he had he had acquired in the military really didn't transition to the to apply to the civilian world. So he looked for a school and he decided to go to ITT Tech. Mm. And he was two classes sh short of graduating from ITT when the school closed. And so he left. And actually, no, that's not, I think that's not accurate. He was a year into his education at ITT. And so he left. Um, well, the school closed, and so he started looking for places where, who would accept his credits. And only one school would accept even any of those credits, and still wow. they wouldn't accept all yeah. of them. So um, he went there and uh, was able to somewhat complete his to somewhat earn you know some of his degree, but was also struggling to pay for that degree. And so eventually had to discontinue even his, his courses there. Um, and so essentially has been, you know, a few credits short of having any sort of degree at all. And actually, another horrible part of his um, his story is that even while he was at ITT, he was struggling um, so much that he was he went homeless a couple of times. Wow. And as it turns out, he was eligible and applied for Pell Grants, but had never received those those Pell Grants from the school. Oh, that's unbelievable. So, so just, just took a horrible, the money and ran. Right. Yeah. So just a horrible story of a guy who did everything right, everything mm -hmm. that the military and country expected of him. 
um, but who fortunately now is going to be able to get his some of his GI Bill back. That's so fantastic. Yeah, and I don't think people realize, you know, Charlotte, we've worked a lot on this, how many students, especially at some of these vocational schools or um, community colleges are um, either housing insecure or food insecure. They really um, are struggling to, to stay in school. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and well, I know, and then you, you also, you know, Student Veterans of America, you work with student vets at cam- different types of campuses all across the country. Can you, like, same question for you. Are there folks that you're working with that you're like, yes, this is this is what I did this for this person, that they're going to be helped by this? Obviously, the driving force, and certainly for, for myself personally, the, the motivating factor that kept, kept me going every day, because I tell you what, when every day is a Monday for three months straight, you need something to <laughs> You need something to keep you going. Um, and it was really the, the folks that were helping uh, that, that kept me motivated. And I, I kind of think about, uh, for example, the uh, National Guard and Reserve members who earned the GI Bill but were not receiving it from the VA uh, due to a small loophole and really more of an error, I think, than anything else uh, on the fact that Congress doesn't always talk to itself. And that's because uh, there's a small code when, when National Guard and Reservists have been deployed over the last several years uh, that they added. And this code, it's under 12304, uh, which is an authorization order to send our troops overseas. Unfortunately, when they added the letter B, as in Bravos, to 12304B, when they added that B, uh, that, that active duty definition under VA to receive benefits, it wasn't updated. So the Armed Services Committees passed this this legislation that allowed these reservists to be deployed under this separate line of accounting. Unfortunately, even though they were, we all know they were serving on active duty, uh, many of which in harm's way in places like Egypt, uh, Central America, and elsewhere, just just by a small technicality, they, they weren't able to receive the GI Bill. Wow. And I want to uh, actually highlight, for example, uh, a specific case of this where there were 300 Marines who were deployed to Central America this last year, um, and they were told at the beginning of the deployment quite explicitly that they would be receiving GI Bill as a result of their service. And many of these reservists, they they counted on this. They had begun to apply to schools over the period of of this deployment, many of which had got accepted. And it was unfortunately not until the very end of the deployment, about a week before they were completing it, that they were told, in fact, uh, unfortunately, their service didn't count for for going to school. And, and I can't even begin to tell you the, the heartache and the, and the challenges that that caused. In particular, uh, one Marine, uh, Oscar Rodriguez, he was a sergeant uh, in the Marine Corps for four years. Um, he had already applied to go to school that fall. He was hoping to get his uh, his career going towards a, a bachelor's degree mm-hmm. in uh, information uh, management. And to to have to see him find out that he had earned the GI Bill but wasn't going to be able to get it was, was absolutely heartbreaking. So to think about the fact that now, 100% retroactively, about five or 6,000, uh, depending on what time frame you look at, about five or 6,000 National Guard and Reserve members who earned this benefit to go to school are going to now be able to actually use it is absolutely incredible. That's so fantastic. And, you know, I think that the other thing that's great about this is this is um – you know, to go back to you, Sean, this is a lot of people might be thinking, oh, well, I don't I don't have the GI Bill or, uh, you know, that this is maybe not something that will affect me. But 
um, or, you know, service members who, who maybe had to use their GI Bill but still had to take out student debt on top of that, which is another thing I think a lot of people don't realize, that there were um, provisions in here, too, for, and, you know, uh, well, not necessarily in this bill, but this is part of this broader effort to really make people whole and make sure that they can use their benefits at high-quality schools. So if you can just talk a little bit about the work that you all do for, you know, people, not just for the GI Bill, but all the different types of, you know, aid that students can access to, to go to school and making sure that those are going to high-quality institutions. Sure, and to, to also touch on one thing that you mentioned about, you know, the, the GI Bill and who it affects. The history of the GI Bill is that it affects the whole country regardless mm-hmm. of not just service members, but but everyone, um, because the GI Bill, when it was first created, just led to a huge economic boom. And, you know, by ensuring that our current service members are able to transition into the civilian world and lead in similar ways that their predecessors did, isn't just helpful for them, but it's helpful for right. the whole country. Um, but then in terms of, um, you, you know, what else you mentioned, there are, so we have service members who, and veterans who contact us for for help, and there are a number of things that we, our organization, VeteransEducationSuccess.org, um, can can do for them. There are also certain things that we can't yet do for them because we we need, still need certain changes made to the law. So, interestingly, under current federal law, a student who is using uh, who has uh, student loans through the federal government and who is defrauded can apply to the government to to have his or her loans discharged because of that fraud. There's no corresponding um, provision for the for the GI Bill for veterans mm-hmm. who are defrauded. So veterans, unfortunately, even though they are actually, because of the 90-10 loophole that I think may, mm-hmm. may have been mentioned, they're targeted specifically by a lot of schools and are very important to the bottom line of many schools. When they do find that they have been defrauded, actually have fewer rights compared to, to students usually who are totally. going to school yeah. through with federal loans. Um and actually, if I can, can add to that, um, you know, this is something that, that both Sean and I and several others um, in the, the negotiations for Forever GI Bill that we had been actively addressing. The next push that we plan to make is going to be a comprehensive student protections bill uh, as a result of those negotiations. Naturally, we found... That's uh, fantastic. I'm so sorry, Well, I'm going to have to cut you off. We are running out of time, but I'm really heartened to hear that. We got the GI Bill expansion. Now we're going to get accountability for these schools, make sure Absolutely. that everybody gets a good education. This is the Leslie Marshall Show. We'll be back in just a few talking about affirmative action. Please stick with us. The Leslie Marshall Show. Truth and common sense fused together for you. Call her now at 888-6-LESLIE. All right, this is Maggie Thompson with Generation Progress here on the Leslie Marshall Show Millennial Takeover. On a Friday afternoon, we're almost at the weekend, and we wanted to give you all an update on some stuff that's happening on affirmative action here in D.C. from the Trump administration. So I'm so pleased to have Connor Maxwell here. He's a research associate here at the Center for American Progress on their Project 2050 project, which is all about developing ideas for a diverse America. Welcome to the show, Connor. Thanks, Maggie. Glad to be here. Well, fantastic. Well, I should say before we dive in, um, we're going to be talking quite a bit about the Department of Justice and affirmative action. I have a ton of questions about this, but if you have questions at home, always feel free to call in at 888-6-LESLIE. That's 888-653-7543. 
So, Connor, let's just start at the top here. For folks that maybe didn't hear the announcement this week, um, you know, there was a New York Times article that um, really sort of revealed the Trump administration's plans um, to undermine affirmative action. Sort of what happened? Um, give us the play-by-play of the news. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's been a heck of a week. Um, this Tuesday, <laughs> the New York Times— One of many. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, the New York Times reported that a new project is underway at the Justice Department under Attorney General Jeff Sessions. And this new project um, involves recruiting um, lawyers to investigate and potentially sue universities for their affirmative action policies. And this is extremely problematic for a lot of reasons. But what's most disturbing to me, one of the things that's most disturbing to me, is that this is being run out of the Civil Rights Division. And as many of the listeners will know, uh, the Civil Rights Division is responsible for protecting marginalized communities Mm -hmm. from discrimination. Um, And so they're... the Department of Justice is using federal anti-discrimination dollars to go after these communities and to rebuild some of these barriers to opportunity. Yeah, I mean, it, that was what was so surprising to me about uh, this announcement was it, it it was the offices of civil rights, which, you know, this, it's not it's recent history that we had this, and such structural discrimination in our higher education system. But it's those very offices that are being used for this new initiative. But, I mean, that was what surprised me. Was there anything else about this that was especially <laughs> shocking to you as somebody that um, works on these issues every day? Yeah. So another surprising thing uh, about it being run out of the Civil Rights Division is that it's being run out of the front office, which is not traditional. So the front office is comprised... For non-DC people, can you yeah, <laughs> walk yeah, us through yeah. what the front office so the front... I'm like, oh, I know what you mean, but <laughs> DC jargon folks, sorry. <laughs> right. Sorry about that. So the front office is um, made up primarily of political appointees. Um, and at the Civil Rights Division, it will end up being mostly conservative legal minds. Mm-hmm. Um, and traditionally what happens in the Civil Rights Division is uh, lawsuits are carried out by career officials, career prosecutors whose sole mission is to enforce federal anti-discrimination statutes. But now, since it's being run out of the front office, as opposed to one of the sections, um, it has a more politicized nature nature right. to it. These are people appointed by Donald Trump and his administration. Exactly, exactly. They have goals other than just enforcing the law. Yeah, no, and it seems like this is not something that should be politicized or made in a biased way. If you're tr- working as a federal agency to make determinations about whether or not discrimination is happening. I don't I don't know where politics uh, reasonably fits into that role. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it, it sends a pretty clear signal, too, that the cake is already baked here, um, that these investigations already have an end in mind. They know where they want to get, and they just are looking for lawyers to give them some reasoning, some rationale, so that they can go after universities, so that they can tear down these policies that have expanded opportunity um, and improved the quality of higher education for millions. That's fantastic. And, you know, I think just to go back, because, you know, I think maybe some people remember the Supreme Court last year. I I felt pretty definitively decided this, but now they're coming back at it. But I think a lot of people have some misunderstandings about how affirmative action works, what it is. Um, So so could you maybe explain um, to folks, you know, what do these programs do and how do they work um, and and why are they so important? Right. That's a great question. Um, And I think there's a lot of confusion about this issue. So in in the simplest terms, um, affirmative action is simply it's an it's a narrowly tailored practice of considering race, ethnicity and gender. Um, is as part of a holistic evaluation of applicants for admission. So 
what that means is it's universities can consider race and ethnicity along with factors such as income, ge- geography, um, test scores, and grades mm-hmm. in order to create a more uh, diverse student body and to provide educational t- opportunities to groups that have historically been marginalized. Mm-hmm. Um, and you brought up the Supreme Court, um, which I'm, I'm really glad you did. Last year, they actually affirmed that universities are permitted to use race along with other factors. Um, they can't race can't substitute for every other factor. You need to consider applicants holistically. But universities are allowed to consider race. They're allowed to prioritize diversity on campus, which is a really important thing. Right. And uh, you and, and uh, Sarah Garcia um, here at the Center for American Progress are writing a piece about this that really digs into this a little bit more. And I think that one of the things that it would be great to hear you talk a little bit more about is sort of all of the people that support that idea of um, diversity in college campuses and affirmative action. And I think it was one of the the justices, Justice Kennedy, that talked about the need um, for a, a real degree of deference to schools um, to really um, do what they need to do in their admissions policies to shape a campus community that's going to be um, nurturing a really um, diverse, talented, and ready-for-the-world workforce um, for the next generation. Right, absolutely. So, um, you know, like you said, um, universities really support affirmative action. They understand um, that it adds a lot of value to the edu- to the educational system, um, and studies have shown this. You know, a diverse student body results in uh, different perspectives. It results in students being able to challenge each other and make each other think in different ways, um, and it allows people to think more creatively and think outside of the box. And this then, of course, this then translates into a more vibrant economy in the long run. Mm-hmm. Um, Fortune 500 companies are really enthusiastic about the idea of affirmative action in education. They want as many qualified candidates to, uh, to, to leave universities with different perspectives, with different backgrounds that they can bring into the boardrooms and um, into these idea machines to innovate and invent um, and add to our economy. Yeah, that was what was so striking to me, Um, you know, when you were listing sort of how much corporate America is, you know, this isn't like a liberal versus conservative or progressives versus, you know, the right issue necessarily, Um, because a lot of corporate America, I think on this and also um, on things like uh, when corporate America came out against discrimination against transgender people in HB2 in North Carolina, I think that, you know, this is this is actually an issue where companies have recognized that discrimination is bad for business, <laughs> whether it's on race, whether it's on your um, gender identity. I mean, this is just a real um, uh, it's there are a lot of uh, different parts of this country that I think recognize the value of this policy. Um, but just, you know, and then to dig in just in terms of who is actually benefiting from these policies, um, sort of can you can you walk us through? We've talked a little bit about structural discrimination generally, but like who is it that benefits from these policies and, and why is that so important? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so before I dive into essentially everybody benefits. But before I dive into that <laughs> yes. too deep, uh, I want to ex- explain something that um, I think is really important. There's this common misconception about affirmative action that some groups benefit while others suffer. Mm -hmm. And I think this largely stems from this belief that affirmative action is the same as quotas, that universities are reserving a certain amount of slots for black students and white students and Asian students and Latino students, and it results in some sort of discrimination. Um, 
But this was actually deemed unconstitutional way back in 1978. Mm -hmm. Um, So affirmative action doesn't mean quotas. It means opening doors for communities that have historically been marginalized. Um, And so it's, it's allowed those groups to benefit. But like I said earlier, Diverse, diversifying an entire student body is better for everybody. Um, it it enhances your education, and um, even for even in terms of an issue like bias, um, studies have shown that interacting with people who are different from you and having a long term positive relationship right. with that kind of person reduces your level of bias, and that's good for all of society, and that's something that we really need to promote. And continue. Yeah, I think that's that's such a good point on you know the misconceptions here, and I think that it's it's really kind of sad how opponents from affirmative action it's it's almost as if it's not a very hopeful worldview, and it's one that is almost one of austerity. There's only a few spots, and I need to have exactly. them for Mike, exactly. and that's just not how this works. Rather than we as a society are going to come together, and we are going to use our university system. Um, you know, to build something greater than what our generation has. And we're going to keep growing this country and our economy and it's going to be better. It's not a zero sum game. Um, so yeah, I think that is really well put because I, I totally agree with you. I think that, um, I have a much more hopeful view of (laughs) the future of our country. Right. Um, and I think that people that understand how these policies work, um, understand that this is a real value add over time. Yes, totally. And I think that, I think even honestly, the Trump administration understands this, but, this is it's all it's all part of a distraction. I don't think that they fundamentally believe that affirmative action hurts anybody, but I think that they are trying to they've shown they've had this track record of trying to tear down practically every policy and practice and program that they can find that benefit benefits marginalized groups. And they've yeah. done this since January. Yeah. Um, and. I mean, I would put even more of a, a fine point on it. It feels like this administration is systematically attacking, <laughs> like, communities yes. of color. <laughs> you it, it way better Sorry. Than it, it's, no, it's, it's totally true, though. It's totally true. And, you know, you're talking about a guy who, when he was running, his pitch to communities of color was, what more do you have to lose? And it's clear that under his administration, they have a lot to lose. A whole lot, yeah. A whole lot. I mean, during his inauguration, he said, I will be president for all Americans. You know, he promised to, you know, bring back jobs and to b- rebuild this economy and to help all communities. But at every turn, it seems like he's just finding more and more ways to, to undermine the progress that we've made over the last half century. Yeah, and just to unpack that a little bit, because in the piece that um, you and Sarah are going to have coming out on AmericanProgress.org, if folks want to check it out, um, you really talked about it's not just um, this is just one thing that the administration is doing, um, but there are a couple of other policies that they're really um, going after and programs they're going after that are going to disproportionately harm communities of color. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, And the first place that you can really see that was in President Trump's budget proposal. Mm -hmm. Um, It seems almost on purpose, like they picked out every program they could find that could, that benefits communities of color and slashed it. They looked at the Department of Education's Office for Civil Rights, yeah. slashed it. They look, looked at the Environmental Protection Agency's uh, Office of Environmental Justice, which helps uh, communities that disproportionately suffer from environmental hazards. Flint. 
Flint, I mean, exactly. <laughs> Slashed on. it. Slashed it. Um, they the look- year after Flint happens, we should have, you know, a, a budget that is going to support communities that are dealing with a crisis like who, that. Who needs an office of environmental justice? Um, no, and it just goes on and on. They looked at the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, which has protected uh, communities of color from predatory lending and a range of other really problematic um, business practices, and they propose slashing it. And at every turn, we, you know, they just spent the last two months going after health care. They wanted to, their proposal would have gotten rid of health care coverage for tens of millions of Americans and predominantly communities of color. Their cuts to Medicaid would have, um, would have impacted communities of color um, disproportionately. Um, and it seems like as soon as that failed, they had to turn to something else. They needed another dog whistle, something new to excite supporters of this uh, new agenda. Um, right. And it's it's really problematic. Yeah. But w- so what what happens next? So this is not this isn't a done deal. Um, this is just I mean, this was it, it started out in the week as a rumor. Uh, so what what comes next? And sort of we've talked a lot about what what's risk at risk. But what can we do? Yeah, sure. So um, the. The easy question to ask, the easy question to answer, I should say, is what's at risk? There's a ton at risk. Um, the the first and easiest is access, access to higher education. Mm-hmm. Um, if affirmative action is rolled back nationwide, um, then potentially millions of students of color would lose the opportunity to pursue a high-quality education. Um, the second is education. Education is put at tremendous risk. With a less diverse campus, like I said, education, the quality of education goes down. Um, and finally, the, the economy is at risk. When you have less diverse perspectives entering the economy with high quality educational backgrounds, then um, we're going to be less competitive globally. That's right. Um, what happens next is a bit tougher to answer. It's unclear as of now what the administration's specific plans and timeline are. Right now, it appears that they're in the recruiting stage of this process. They're trying to find lawyers um, who will sign up for their agenda um, and Mm -hmm. pursue these universities ruthlessly. Um, And it remains to be seen if they'll have much success with that. But assuming they are successful, um, what's really important will be for Americans to stay plugged in, um, to pay attention, to organize, and to rally, and to... Um, show their opposition, to show their support, honestly, for affirmative action, um, and to express their understanding that affirmative action benefits all groups. That's right. And in terms of staying plugged in, I know I said AmericanProgress.org for people that want to get more information about this or see um, a little bit more of what Connor has been writing. You can also find Project 2050 on Twitter. Um, Please follow them and uh, keep up to date. Um, so thank you so much, Connor, for, for coming in here. And um, any, any closing thoughts to leave us with before we, we go to our quick break? Stay plugged in. I mean, keep reading, um, pay attention, um, and spread the word about affirmative action. Try and dispel those myths and show your support at every opportunity. Affirmative action helps all of us, no matter what our skin tone is, no matter what our gender is or socioeconomic status. Affirmative action is great for all of America. 
That's right. Well, thank you so much. That's Connor Maxwell from Project 2050 here at the Center for American Progress. I'm Maggie Thompson with Generation Progress, and this is The Leslie Marshall Show. We'll be back with the news from Talk News Media right after a break. Leslie Marshall, when the truth matters. Give her a call now at 888-6LESLIE. If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at LeslieMarshallShow.com. All right, welcome back. This is the Leslie Marshall Show, and we just wanted to do a quick segment. Uh, This is Maggie Thompson with Generation Progress. Millennial Takeover with some great news to brighten up your Friday afternoon. News just came in that Martin Shkreli, also known as the Farmer Bro, has just been convicted after a five-week trial. Yes, that's right. We're very excited. Um, This is the guy that uh, when his investment company bought a drug firm, he jacked the price of an essential medication from $13.50 to $750 a pill. So there is justice in the world, folks. He also... uh, bought a Wu-Tang album for $1 million, so he had some uh, money to throw around. What? Yeah, I'm also here with Connor from Project 2050 who's shaking his head because it's just ridiculous. Oh, it's it's incredibly problematic what he did, and I hope this sends a signal to corporate America and people in general that you can't just, you can't pursue profits on the backs of low-income people and people of color. That's right, so we stopped Trump care, so people are keeping their health care. We're going to keep, keep people keeping their health care and a guy that tried to jack prices up so he could become even richer than he already was is going to jail for his crime. So happy Friday, everyone. We're thrilled. Uh, this is the Leslie Marshall Show. I'm Maggie Thompson with Generation Progress. We've got Connor Maxwell from tw- Project 2050 here at the Center for American Progress. Thank you so much to our producer, Steve Trippy, and we'll talk to you all soon. 